I'm Massimo Bottura. This is Amanda Cohen. This is David Kinch. This is Mike Anthony. This is Huni Kim. This is Amanda Freitag. This is Richard Blaze. This is Paul Kahn. This is Curtis Stein. This is Stephen Harris. This is Missy Robbins. And you're listening to Andrew Talks to Chefs. Bartenders and bar owners are very industrious people. They're very creative people. And they're not going to go down without a fight. They're trying everything that they can think of to stay afloat. The date is April 16th, 2020, and that is Brooklyn-based spirits and cocktail writer Robert Simonson, our guest on this special report of Andrew Talks to Chefs. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is a special report of Andrew Talks to Chefs. I am your host, Andrew Friedman. As always, our great thanks to Sam Pellegrino for covering the production costs of these special reports. We wouldn't have been able to deliver them to you without them. Our guest today is Robert Simonson, spirits writer for publications like the New York Times and the online webzine Punch, as well as a prolific and accomplished author of several books. More on Robert in just a moment. Before we get to that, I want to let you all know we are doing another edition of Shelter on Plas Theater tomorrow, Friday, April 17th. Hopefully you heard and enjoyed our take on the movie Burnt last week. And tomorrow, Allison and Matt Robicelli will be back and we will be revisiting the John Favreau movie, Chef. Spoilers will abound, so please watch or rewatch the movie before joining us. Looking forward to that tomorrow. So if you read closely, a lot of the coverage of how the current pandemic is affecting the hospitality industry groups bars in along with restaurants. Some petitions and coalitions pair the two, and bartenders, mixologists, beverage directors, or whatever phrase you prefer— are often mentioned right alongside chefs, cooks, waiters, managers, and other people who help make this industry run. We're usually chef-focused on this show and kitchen-focused, but I thought it would be appropriate in the midst of these special reports to get an update on how bars are enduring this pandemic and the resulting lockdown. And to help us do that, I asked my pal Robert Simonson to call in As many of you probably know, Robert writes about cocktails, spirits, bars, and bartenders for the New York Times. He's also a contributing editor and columnist at Punch. His books, which are many, include The Old Fashioned, A Proper Drink, Three Ingredient Cocktails, which was nominated for 2018 James Beard Award, and The Martini Cocktail, which was nominated for an IACP Award. He was also a primary contributor to the essential New York Times book of cocktails and won the 2019 Spirited Award for Best Cocktail and Spirits Writer. Robert is somebody I admire professionally and whom I'm very fond of personally, and I think you're going to enjoy hearing from him. We just spoke yesterday, Wednesday afternoon, and here is our conversation. Robert, thank you very much for checking in. I appreciate it, uh, especially uh, given what's going on right now. And I know you're always busy with multiple deadlines and whatnot. Um, 
could you maybe before we talk about uh, the the industry that you cover, uh, you live in my old neighborhood in Brooklyn. What's what's the feeling in the neighborhood at this point in the in the lockdown? Well, yeah, I'm here in uh, Brownstone, Brooklyn, in Burham Hill specifically on Lawrence Street. Uh, it's very eerie here. Um, I do go out at least once a day, usually for a walk with my wife, sometimes to run an errand, and um, very few people on the street. Uh, very few cars going down the street. All of the uh, playgrounds are locked off, so you can't congregate there anymore. And if you go to the local stores, uh, they're only letting in um, two or three or five people at a time. So there are these odd sort of like bread lines you know, that form outside the sidewalks on Court Street and Smith Street. Uh, and when you're, when you're inside, you hear very little. It's quiet. It's, it's like living in the country. Is that relatively new? Because friends of mine who live in that area, until not very long ago, were still giving me reports of, you know, Saturday night house parties and, and a surprising number of people actually still on the streets uh, in a social way. Has that kind of tapered off finally? It's been this way for about at least two weeks. I mean, there were people who were congregating on the sidewalk and in the parks and, and making loud noise, you know, gathering around the delis or on the corners. But um, that seems to have gone away. I don't know if people have gotten smarter and they've decided to stay indoors and follow the rules or if the authorities are just like shushing them and telling them to, you know, get back home. But um no, it's solitary figures, and almost everyone's wearing, wearing a mask at this point. So strange. Can you talk to me? One of, there's a few reasons I wanted to talk to you. One was, you know, there's been so much coverage and so much on social media about the plight of the restaurant industry. Uh, you've written a very um, wonderful history of the, what do we call it, the modern cocktail movement, the yeah. modern cocktail culture. Um, so I feel like, you know, not all that long ago. So I feel like you probably, um, you know, see a lot of things as they go on, not even things this extreme through a historical lens or maybe try to imagine how it's going to play out historically. Um, how do you, if I just throw it out broadly, relative to the the way the restaurant industry has been covered, what do you see as the as the plate of the the bar business at this time and and how are people pivoting i guess is the verb we use now in that industry to try to keep some revenue going if they're able to well this situation is is very dangerous to the bar industry just as it is to the restaurant industry uh, they had to close just like the restaurants did and um, they're worried about paying the rent they're worried about paying their employees. Most of them had to uh, lay off everybody, and everybody went on unemployment. Um, I I don't know enough about the uh, restaurant industry to make a comparison, but I know that the profit margins in the bar world have always been razor thin. So when you run into something like this, which is totally uh, unpredictable and nothing you could prepare for, um, it, it, it upsets the apple cart, you know, immediately. And you're really wondering um, whether you can survive, you know, after, you know, one week, two weeks, sure, but three weeks, four weeks, you're, you're beginning to think, like, is my bar going to reopen? Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm terribly worried about that. I mean, uh, the, 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 the bar industry has been through a lot, and uh, I, I, 
uh, some of my, I am worried that some of my favorite bars are, are just not going to come back. Without getting too specific about it, are you, uh, as you talk to people, check in with people, whether for interviews or just as a concerned colleague of sorts, what, what, uh, are you, are you hearing that in people's voices or people explicitly talking about fear of, of not coming back? And do they give you some sense of how long they can ride out a shutdown. Yes, uh, I have found that for each bar, it's an entirely different situation. You know, they're in a different neighborhood. They have a different landlord, um, different expenses. So I've heard a um, hundred different stories. Um, some places have are, are good at saving up and they have some money saved up. Some have uh, an excellent uh, relationship with their landlord and the landlord is going to forgive the rent or at least postpone the rent for a while but others others don't you know and i have heard some talk you know of some people who are afraid that they're not going to come back i know of at least one that has already declared bankruptcy um they're they're doing but they're very you know bartenders and bar owners are very industrious people they're very creative people and they're not going to go down without a fight and uh they're trying everything that they can think of to stay afloat. You've probably heard of some of the things they're doing. Uh, To-go cocktails is like the newest phenomenon to come out of this whole crisis Um, because um, Governor Cuomo eased uh, the restrictions and laws. It used to be, I mean, you could never like take a cocktail away from the establishment where it was prepared, but now he's letting them do that. And um, people... A lot of bars uh, latched onto that almost immediately. Um, some stopped after a few days. Some stopped after a couple of weeks. Others made the decision that it wasn't worth the risk, you know, putting their employees in harm's way of possibly getting infected. But um, I think a lot more have decided that, you know, it's, it's worth the risk. And they're, they're taking every precaution that they can. And uh, it brings in a, a trickle of money. I think it helps to pay certain bills, and certainly not all the bills, but certain bills. But I think it also performs the task of like keeping morale up and keeping people busy, and you know, just uh, just that sense of not giving up the ship and and not losing that connection with your your customers, with your patrons. That's so interesting to me because I've heard the same thing from a number of restaurant people that the cooks just they want to be they want to be cooking, they want to be doing what they do, they want to be performing their craft uh, yes. they want they want to they want to work um uh and of course then there is even if it's a fraction of normal the income factor which is not negligible for this population and other things people have tried um there are of course all the um the gofundme campaigns i think every bar in new york city has a gofundme campaign and and people are being generous and they're giving you know i mean that also is a stopgap it's not going to be the end solution um, people have pointed to merchandise as something that you can still buy, even though the bar is closed. You can buy a T-shirt. You can buy a hat. Um, there's a, a famous bar here in New York City called Attaboy. And I don't know if they did this in response to the pandemic or they already had it plan- planned. But they've come out with these kind of uh, summer sports shirts uh, with little cocktails on them. They're called the Paper Plane shirts, named after a drink that they make there. And they've been selling those like for $50 a pop. They've got 300 of them. So uh, I don't know if they thought of that as yet another idea to like bring in some money, just keep the cash flowing. But 
it's a, it's amazing all the different things that, that uh, people come up with, and and day to day it changes. You just you hear of a new, I don't know, enterprise every single day. Yeah, I mean, it is sort of. I mean, you know, the the people. A lot of times, the people who open restaurants and the people who open bars were those people who threw the best parties in high school and college. You know, they were these people who had a real gift for spontaneity and spontaneous creativity. And I think some of them are applying that in this moment um, uh, in, a, in, a, in very interesting ways. Do you think that any of these measures that people have started taking are going to survive post-lockdown? Do you think any of – like, for example, if they decided to continue to allow takeaway cocktails, do you think bars would continue to offer them in, a, in hopes of supplementing on-premise sales? Yes, I, I do think – uh, they would. I've heard from a number of people that, you know, everyone's trying to look on the bright side and they're thinking, after this is all over, I hope that, you know, the governments and the powers that be are smart enough to just let us continue to do this. Uh, if if New York State continues to allow to go cocktails, seeing that it was an experiment that, you know, paid off and that could be done safely, um, I, th- I, I know a lot of these bars would keep doing it. Yeah. Because every little bit helps the bottom line. Yeah, and when it comes down to it, there's no reason why not. I mean, because uh, it's always been legal for beer. You can go to a beer store or a beer bar and get a growler full of beer and take it home. So I don't know why there should be a double standard, but there always has been. Yeah, well, that's especially, I think, true in New York, right? I mean, so few people walk out of a bar in New York, get in a car, and drive back to their apartment. That's Yes. It's a very small minority of people who do that. Can you talk for a minute about your own? Um, I don't. I don't mean for it to sound like this, but your own, your own drinking habits at this moment. I, I don't think there's been a moment in time. I mean, you happen to be someone who writes about bars and cocktails and spirits, but I've never seen such uh, celebration of imbibing on social <laughs> media as I have in the last month. It has become completely. I mean, you know, there's 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 obviously people out there who are in recovery programs, but for people who aren't, this has become a time where jokingly referring to oneself as an alcoholic or your, you know, there was a thing making the rounds last week. Your your alcoholic quarantine name is your first name followed by your last name. <laughs> um, you know, it's become a very fashionable in this crazy moment to sort of uh, celebrate how much how much we're drinking. I have to tell you, I'm actually. I started an hour early since I'm talking to you today. I am actually sipping a tequila as we speak. Um, hey, all the, all the rules are <laughs> out the window. Happy hour is when you decide it begins. Um, yeah, we, 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 live in, we live in the era of the virtual happy hour. We live in the era of the quarantini. Um, times are tough. Things are grim. And you've got to latch on to the creature comforts that you can find. And so it's no surprise to me or anyone else in my field that uh, liquor sales are up and that liquor stores are doing just fine. I mean, uh, you've, you've, you've got to take the uh, edge off this situation somehow. Um, so I, I, it was not a worry for me when this all began because as a, uh, a writer of liquor and cocktails, I've got plenty of stocks here at home. Um, but even so, uh, my wife and I did, did go to a store and, you know, stock up on some things, you know, just in case that we were in for the long haul. Um, but I think it's kind of fun. Um, I, I, I am loath to fault anybody 
in this pandemic, you know, for just having an extra glass of wine uh, with their dinner. And I, I kind of love that everyone has rediscovered the cocktail hour because it's a thing that had kind of gone away. Uh, we rediscovered cocktails, but most people who love cocktails, they, they go out to get them. They go to the best bars and they get the best drinks from the best bartenders. But now we can't do that. So you're home. And so you got to have your own cocktail hour. You can't count on the bar anymore. Yes. And people have, you know, we've been watching a lot of civilians and chefs alike Instagramming and Instagramming live. They're, um, you know, they're cooking, they're cooking demos. We're seeing a lot of cooking demos and whatnot. But, you know, what about, I mean, for someone like you, have you, have you, are you, are you drinking cocktails maybe that you don't normally drink? Are you trying different cocktails every day or two? Are you mix, are you mixing it up more than one usually, you usually would? What's your, what's your sort of, pattern been during this last month we're mixing it up i mean there's a lot of the regular stuff that we usually have where we're uh you know folks of simple taste over here we have a lot of martinis and manhattans and old fashions and that kind of thing but what i've been trying to do my wife and i is we really do want to support these bars that are trying to do the to-go cocktail so a lot of the nights of uh the stay-at-home period We've been ordering to-go cocktails from people that will deliver in our area. Uh, and sometimes we've taken long walks to neighborhoods in order to patronize another bar that is not within delivery um, distance. And then uh, after a while, we just started sending cocktails to other people, you know, friends and colleagues, send them to-go cocktails. Uh, so, um, that's one way we have shaken it up, you know, because these places all offer something differently. And and they all make their cocktails in their own special way. Otherwise, um, I've, I've, I've decided that, you know, I'm not going to skimp on quality while this is going on. All, everybody has certain bottles that they've been waiting to open for a special occasion. And I've decided that special occasion is now. So um, I've, got, I've opened up two, uh, two bottles of port. I never drink port. And I always think, oh, we'll save this for a special time. And so that port's gone. And, uh, and there are some bottles of bourbon and rye that I, I thought, you know, were on the special side. And I thought I would wait on that. But I'm just cracking open most anything, you know. It's like, you know, no time like the present. Have you come up with any, you know, one of the things I've been doing in my cooking, and, you know, it is funny after, after I have to be honest, after sort of almost mocking relatives who I felt had been, um, you know, really marred by the Great Depression when I was younger, you know, who wouldn't throw a you know, as a, a scrap piece of chicken away um, and whatnot. I have been using every bit of food, every scrap, every peel in some fashion. I've 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 become a very improvisational cook in the last month. I, I want have you have you mixed anything together you hadn't mixed together before? Have you found something that makes a good garnish that you haven't used as a garnish before? Have you stumbled into any happy accidents during this um cocktail wise time yeah yeah i mean I, i'm doing what you're doing with uh food certainly i mean when you end up making your own breakfast lunch and dinner every single day you get very good at at using everything and using leftovers and uh, yeah. you become a very efficient cook um those bottles of port that i opened uh it occurred to me that I, I, I never make any of the cocktails that ask for port, and there are many, uh, because I never have an open bottle of port. So with one of those bottles, I just kept looking at 
support cocktail recipes and making them one by one to see if any of them were any good. And so I experimented that way for, I think, I don't know, four or five days. Um, I haven't done a lot of like standing in front of my bar and experimenting, you know, trying to come up with new cocktails. Um, I don't know. I guess I have other things on my mind (laughs) and, 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 uh, I'm just trying to get through the days. And also that sort of feels like work, you know, um, it feels like something I might be doing in preparation for a new cocktail book or a new article where I'm experimenting and try to come up with a recipe. And when cocktail hour comes around these days, I want to take it easy and I want to relax and just try to forget the world a little bit. Yeah, that's a moment to take a sip and to exhale. Um, That's right. Yeah. Uh, What, uh, you know, you did a book on three ingredient cocktails. What what would, do you have one at this time when people are kind of, you know, going through and depleting their, their stash, so to speak, are there... What are what's a three ingredient cocktail or two that maybe aren't as well known as some of the real popular classics that maybe people could have in mind at a moment like this? Well, it's interesting that you bring up that book because you know we're all at home and some people are using this time to start working through that stack of books that they bought and never read. Uh, and I have observed through social media that a lot of people have turned to that book. Um, and have posted a lot about it. I think it's because the drinks inside it are simple. They're three-ingredient cocktails, and people want to make a cocktail. They have to make a cocktail for themselves, um, and they, they would rather that it be easy, you know, and, and, and have something that they have on hand. So that book has come up a lot. It's kind of, you know, I don't know. It's uh, Maybe I wrote it for this pandemic. I don't know. Uh, most of them are pretty familiar but I'll throw out one that's actually not in the book. It's a Saratoga cocktail. It's in the Manhattan family. And uh, this will be very easy for people to remember if they're listening to this. You just go uh, equal parts brandy and rye and sweet vermouth and uh, Angostura bitters. And there you go. Does that get garnished with a, a cherry or no? You could do a cherry. Uh, you could do a lemon twist. I Either would work. Now, this actually brought brings me very conveniently to what I was saving to ask you. It's a kind of a personal question. I don't know if you will remember this or not, but several years ago, you had sent me a message, a direct message or a private message on Twitter saying that you were working on a story and didn't I drink Manhattan's on ice, on the rocks. Ah, yes. <laughs> and I was going through a phase of not being on Twitter very much, and I didn't see it till a week later, and I missed I missed my moment. I missed my big break to be in a, a Robert Simonson piece. But I I had the distinct feeling that you found that uh, I, that you found that a little bit odd, or you found that people who did that a little bit strange. I wasn't sure. That's how I read it. Um, but I noticed on Instagram the other day you posted yes uh, Manhattan on the rocks. Manhattan on the rocks, and the caption said, "Desperate times call for desperate measures." So That's right. I still don't know whether or not you frown upon people who do that. But I'd like you to please explain. I've kind of warmed up to that that format. So. Uh, what happened was I was researching a book on martinis and my father always drank his martinis on the rocks. And I thought that was peculiar. Um, and then I found out that it was actually a very popular way to drink martinis and Manhattans in the fifties uh, and sixties. A lot of people 
liked to do it that way, and it was even trendy for a while. Um, and people liked it because it kept their drink colder longer, and also the drink diluted slowly over time, and so you know you were able to nurse it and not get as uh, tipsy. Um, and so that was a revelation, and I put it in the book, and and it was a revelation to everybody else too. Nobody knew that Martini on the Rocks, Manhattan on the Rocks, was a thing, even though a lot of people still drink it that way in the heartland. Um, so. Ever since then, I've just thought, you know what? That's just that's a, that's a, another spoke in the wheel. That's another option, you know. And I shouldn't look down on it or anything like that. If I have, you know, on my deathbed, if I want a martini or Manhattan, I'm going to have it up. But sometimes, you know, when I'm feeling a, a little bit lazy, you know, it's it's quite pleasant to have it that way. And so I will tell you that. One of the things, this was not my original, I don't know why I first started drinking them on the rocks. I think it might've been because I used to, Caitlin, who you know, my wife, we used to have this bit where I would, if I was grilling on the weekend, she'd be inside with guests if we had them and I'd be outside. And when, you know, when I was about 10 minutes from being ready to take the steaks off the grill, I would say, and it was almost a mocking version of like, an, you know, a couple from a different era. I would say, Kate, I'll take my Manhattan now. And it was so hot out there, she would bring it to me on the rocks. I think that's how it started. But I, one of the reasons I did keep doing that is if I was at a restaurant or a bar, I would order, and it became a Michter's Rye Manhattan, and on the rocks with a glass of ice on the side. And it was so that I could kind of, not because I was cheap, but because it would keep me from, I'm a lightweight, it would keep me from getting too tipsy, as you said. Um, and I would really just extend it over a period of time. Um, but the thing I was going to ask about martinis, am I wrong? I remember hearing years ago that a properly shaken martini should have almost a, like a thin uh, veneer of ice on top. Well, that's entirely up to preference. Um I, I, I like a stirred martini. I don't think you would need to shake it uh, to make it colder. Um, and I like the kind of pristine appearance it has, you know, that it's not storm-tossed. But a lot of people like shaken martinis. And if I'm going to do a shaken martini, yes, I do like that little ice flow on top. Yeah, but my point is that that, that dilution is, I mean, to a smaller degree, but that is part of that version of a martini, or that iteration of a martini, no? You mean on the rocks? Or, or, no, if you or have a shaken, shaken one, there is that is there is an element of dilution or an element of the the water have being a factor. Yeah, although I think the uh, dilution in a martini will be the same whether you stir or shake it. Some people think it's more if you shake it, but then it probably depends on the kind of ice you're using. If it's like very fragile, kind of flimsy ice, you're probably going to get a little more uh, dilution. And since most places have that kind of ice. That may be the case. Okay. Well, it is a beautiful day in New York State today. I know you're going to about to go um, take a walk with your wife, Mary Kate. So I will leave you to that. But thank you very much for making the time to do this. I'm glad we got a chance to chat on the air. Yeah, me too, Andrew. It's, it's good to talk to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> And that's our show for today. Our great thanks to Robert Simonson for being our guest. You can read more about Robert on his website, robertsimonson.net. I will link to the site as well as to his books and his Instagram feed on the episode page for this special report at the andrewtalkstochefs.com website. 
If you enjoyed this show, please explore our archives at andrewtalkstochefs.com or on your favorite podcast platform, and please tell your friends. I would, as always, love to hear from you about any topics you might like to hear covered in these reports, suggestions for how they could be better or more useful, or general feedback. You can message me at Chef Podcast on Instagram or shoot me an email or voicemail via the links at the bottom of the Andrew Talks to Chefs website. Our thanks to Wild Turkey Surprise for today's opening music and to After School Special for the music you are listening to right now. Please seek them out online and enjoy more of their music. Thanks to our engineer, Margaret Kelly, for mixing these special reports. Our thanks to Sam Pellegrino for making these special reports possible. And our thanks to all of you out there in podcast land for listening. Take care of yourselves, take a breath, and we will all get through this together. See you tomorrow.